Well, more now on the damning review into Immigration New Zealand's oversight of the accredited employer work visa scheme. A Public Service Commission report found the risk of visa abuse wasn't properly assessed by Immigration New Zealand when settings were loosened by the previous government as it sought to boost the post-COVID workforce. The outcome was scores of migrants paying for jobs here, but then being left without work and living in overcrowded conditions. MB Chief Executive Carolyn Tremaine told us this morning that the system was a high-trust model. The declaration that an employer completes as part of the application process to be an accredited employer asks a lot of information, including uh, requiring them to declare that they are genuine and viable business. The report also found cases of staff at Immigration New Zealand being ignored by leadership when they raised concerns about migrant exploitation. On the line with us now is Labour Party leader Chris Hipkins. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, good morning. The accredited employer system uh, was introduced by your government. Was it good policy in hindsight? I think it was. I think the approach, um, you know, the overall design of the system, the overall intention of the system was was still the right one. But clearly, there were some significant issues in implementation, and I recognise that. And I think um, the the officials involved in the implementation of that will, I'm sure, you know, be reflecting on the lessons learned there. But I also think, you know, we we as politicians need to accept our share of responsibility for that as well. Um, politicians of all colours, including the, the current government and the previous government, put enormous pressure on immigration in New Zealand to get the border reopened quickly after the global pandemic. And uh, and clearly, I think mistakes were made in the in the process. Yes, but it was your government that introduced the uh, the structure of the scheme, so you take responsibility for that, do you? Well, the intention of the accredited employer uh, work visa was to drive out migrant worker exploitation. Now, d- details in the way it was implemented meant that actually it had the reverse effect, and that is that was never the intention of the scheme. Well, the intention doesn't matter so much, does it? It's what's delivered. Well, ultimately, politicians don't implement the scheme themselves and rely on the officials to do that. But we also need to recognise that we were, at the same time as implementing a new system, putting them under enormous pressure to you know, get things moving at the board more quickly. And so, yep, I, I think there's, there's plenty of responsibility uh, to, to go round here, and we accept our share of that. Do you think there, there was too much, it was too reactive, there was too much pressure on those, um, on those officials to rush, rush through these visas? Yes, I think there was an enormous amount of pressure on officials to get visas moving more quickly as we had businesses complaining of skill shortages. We had the then opposition, um, you know, putting a huge amount of pressure on the government of the day saying that we needed to get people back into the country faster. And the government did react to that and putting, you know, even more pressure on those officials to, um, to speed up the process. And I think mistakes clearly were made along the way because of that. Just finally on that issue, do you think it's still a good idea to have these visas tied to the employer rather than the employee? Ultimately, that's a decision that the current government are going to have to take and they'll need to look at the lessons learned from this process in making that decision. And look, I'm going to take a very open mind to that. Well, they haven't been, haven't exactly shied away from, from changing policies that you've introduced in the past, so they may well look at that the same. Another of those is the gun laws, which we've been talking about this morning. What concerns do you have in terms of the potential loosening of gun laws? 
I don't think firing you know semi-automatic military-style semi-automatic weapons should is a legitimate recreational activity. And uh, if people want to fire a military-style semi-automatic weapon, they should join the military. The reality is a liberalisation of law in this area will put those guns back in the hands of gangs. It'll make it easier for gangs and others with criminal intent to get hold of them. That's what the law change was designed to stop. And I think, you know, it was supported almost unanimously by the parliament. Only David Seymour voted against it. Has the law taken guns out of the hands of gangs, though? It's never going to be an overnight process. I mean, there there would have been a lot of those weapons circulating illegally before the law change was made. Um, And over time, I think that the combination of the ban, the introduction of the gun register and so on will make it harder for those with illegal intent to get hold of those sorts of weapons. But there's sort of empirical evidence. Is there actual evidence about the number of guns in the hands of gangs being reduced? Well, this was one of the challenges. There was no empirical evidence as to how many guns were in circulation when we introduced the ban. So um, it's very difficult to um, to kind of track. Um, you know, they, by the by the very nature of it, they're they're illegal. Um, if they, if we knew where they were, we would have gone and got them. What did you make of Stuart Nash's comments about well, your government's approach to 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 gangs and uh, the personnel involved in those decisions? Uh, I mean, he's entitled to his views and his reckons. The threshold uh, of thirty thousand dollars for, um, you know, for, for collecting proceeds of crime was set under the previous national government back in, you know, pre twenty seventeen. So before we became the government, and we didn't alter that. We did look at whether it should be lowered. Um, why didn't you lower it? Well, we, we put that to the select committee and said, you, you hear submissions on it and, and come back with a view, and they came back and recommended that the 30,000 threshold remains the same. And bearing in mind that the select committee included the current Minister of Justice and the current Minister of Police, so Mark Mitchell and Paul Goldsmith were both on that select committee. But you had your police minister saying that that was what uh, he thought was a good idea and that came down to an arm wrestle, as he tells it, between himself and Kitty Allen. Oh, in my time working in the justice space, I can tell you that police and justice officials regularly um, disagree and you know, police will look at things purely from a practical perspective. The justice officials will often look at it from a, a more um, principled-based perspective. And, you know, that, that's always going to create tension. But let's be clear of what the law change does. It reverses the, the, the burden of proof. It says that you are guilty until you can prove yourself to be innocent. Um, I think that having some threshold in place um, for, for that, given that it's a pretty fundamental change, actually isn't an unwise thing. Were you concerned about the um, undue impact on Māori of lowering that threshold? I think we have to recognise the fact that Māori are disproportionately members of gangs, but I don't think that um, going soft on gangs is the way of approaching that. I think we have to look at how much, how young Māori end up being recruited by gangs in the first place. And I think that that's where we should be focusing our attention. I think if, if we focused on programmes that gave um, those young Māori vulnerable men a viable alternative, um, you know, really get really lifted their sights to a better future, then actually they wouldn't be joining gangs in the first place. What about Stuart Nash's uh, loyalty? Oh, look, I mean, Stuart's entitled to his views. Um, you'll note that most other former cabinet ministers don't go out and share their reckons publicly in the nature of the way that he did, but that's really up to Stuart. Just finally, uh, you'll obviously be aware of the uh, the ministerial inquiry into education, into school property. When Erica Stanford announced that, she named you personally as being uh, well the one who led, uh, in her words, uh, Marlborough down the garden path in terms of their schooling. Uh, were you open with them? 
I think with regard to Marlborough, this was a commitment made by the previous national government in around 2014 or 2015, and I did my best to honour the previous government's commitment. And reality is we probably should have pulled the pin on that sooner. But the rest of the... Why didn't you? um, uh, because ultimately we were trying to, oh, oh, you know, the Marlborough community were promised a co-located boys and girls school with brand new facilities by the previous national government, and we were trying to honour that commitment. The, the reality here is I will back up every other one of the projects that they're talking about. Our schools were left in abysmal state after not just neglect by the previous national government, but around 40 years of neglect. Mm. But, but and, when it became and, and apparent we, to you I'm that... Gonna, I'm not going to apologise for putting money into fixing No, that. no, but I'm asking if you're going to apologise for basically when it it became apparent that this wasn't going to be able to be delivered uh, for letting it proceed for years without drawing attention to that. Um, it, it ultimately, was going to depend on what the final cost was going to be. I was willing to let that project proceed, even at a higher cost. Um, I, the costs that they're now suggesting, I think, would be prohib- prohibitively high, but those were not the costings that we were given. What were the costings that you were given? Oh, certainly a lot less than the ones that are that are out there now. I could go back and find the exact number, that, the last number that I was given as Minister of Education, but it was nowhere near the numbers that they're talking about. Okay. Appreciate your time this morning. That was a Labour Party leader, Chris Hipkins.